everyone and welcome to episode 82 of the retrospectors podcast eternal darkness my name is patrick arthur and i'm joined as always by my co-host james tellings how you doing james it's uh i have a feeling we're, we're a bit late with this one it's it's been uh we're a bit we're about a week late how did that happen uh who knows something something elden ring something something patrick guesting somewhere else some the usual stuff right Honestly, I uh, for a long time I was going to use the excuse that I'd guested over on Nostalgia Goggles as an excuse, but I decided in the interest of honesty we should just own up and say the reason we didn't play a lot of Eternal Darkness is that two two to three weeks ago we saw the release of Elden Ring, and I feel like our audience would understand us getting distracted by the game given how deeply in love and how publicly in love we are with the Dark Souls franchise. Yeah, and you were just telling me you're not as deeply in love with this one as uh, the more recent titles like Sekiro. Oh man, this could be an entire episode, so I better yeah. I better not go too deep. But basically, the breadth of Elden Ring is such that it kind of doesn't give you a nice tight uh, progression curve that always happens with Souls games. Like Souls games are always, in a macro sense, linear. They're not um they're not linear in their moment to moment exploration of the of the level, but in terms of how you progress through the game holistically, they are linear, and the game is able to regulate the power level of bosses and enemies so that it always feels like an appropriate challenge all the way along. I found with mm. Elden Ring that the exact opposite is true, and that the difficulty of encounters is wildly fluctuating, and at the moment for me is far too easy yeah i i've noticed that it is a trade-off though right with all the open world stuff that they've added i will say in my case a lot of it has been positive like you know ash lake in the original dark souls how mm -hmm. it's this thing that's like impossible to find unless you get told about it on the internet mm -hmm. i feel like elden ring is stuffed full of ash lakes and i have discovered heaps of them on my own and that feels really good and I'm always surprised when I come into a completely new environment just how jaw-dropping a lot of the scenery and the attention to detail of stuff is. Yeah, my feelings on the game are complicated and at this stage a bit confused. I want to finish playing before I start doling out my opinion because it's a big game and very complicated. So I think that any opinion on it by necessity must be complicated as well. But um, yeah, I... I'm, it hasn't lived up to the hype for me. It's um, it's fallen a bit short of it, but there's still plenty of room for it to be a brilliant game and not quite live up to the hype. But um, James, we we better move on because this this will be the next hour and a half if we if we don't control ourselves. So um, this fortnight we're playing Eternal Darkness, and for those who haven't listened to us before, James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. Each and every fortnight, we play classic games of the past, um, at least fifteen years old, as a normal barometer. And we have an in-depth discussion and kind of review these games to see if they've truly stood the test of time and are worth your time to play today. We're not interested in understanding how good these games were when they first released. We just want to know if 
James and I had an enjoyable time playing them today and whether they're worth your time to play today against all the other brilliant games that that get released. So James, uh, Eternal Darkness. Uh, The full name of the game is Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. It's a horror action adventure game first released for the GameCube in 2002. It was developed by Silicon Knights, who at the time were most famous for Blood Omen Legacy of Cain. Uh, Eternal Darkness was also originally going to be an N64 game, but got pushed back because of the cinematic demands of the game. Uh, This one released to insanely positive critical reception, and while I'd heard of it in vague terms, this playthrough was the first time it properly came to my attention. Did um did you have any inkling of of this game, James? Had you heard of it in the uh, wild, or was this all new to you as well? Yeah, so I knew it existed, um, and I was interested in it um, previously. Although to be honest, I didn't know that much about the game. I just um, you know thought something about the box art and you know the blurb on the back was interesting when I picked it up years ago. Um, and then, you know, ultimately this was a game that we had recommended to us, um, by one of our Discord users, Vexus. Thank you for the recommendation. Um, and I probably would have forgotten about it if it hadn't been brought to my attention a couple more times. So, you know, not a huge blip on my radar, um, but I can definitely see this game coming out and a lot of people taking interest in it. And um, you did what I did and emulated it on Dolphin, the old reliable Dolphin. Yep. And as always, zero issues. You know, feels like a broken record at this point, but it's true. The emulator is brilliant. Um, It runs perfectly. Uh, I had no issues running this one. Yeah, me neither. Although there was a point at which I thought I was encountering an issue, but uh, <laughs> more, more on that later. So I guess uh, what I'll do is I'll give a basic rundown of the story, like the the introductory story of of the game, the setup, and then we can talk a bit about how this story is structured because it is an unusual structure, and unusual storytelling device. So the initial setup to this game is that you play initially as Alexandra Rovos. She's returning to her father's estate or mansion in Rhode Island after he was brutally killed. She gets annoyed by the police's incompetence at finding out what happened to him, so she sets out to explore the mansion herself for clues. Before too long, she finds something called the Book of Eternal Darkness, a grim-looking tome that's seemingly made of human flesh and bones. It recounts the story of a Roman named Pius Augustus having an interaction with a what seems to be some kind of Lovecraftian entity. As she continues to explore the mansion, she uncovers additional pages of the book, telling stories of people throughout the past 2,000 years and their interactions with the dark cosmic horrors, Augustus, and learns how these stories are connected to her and her family. Um, And every single time you find one of these pages, you can then experience that person's story from their perspective. So, James, that's the basic setup. Where do you want to start with our story discussion? Um, So I kind of wanted to go into uh, the game structure and not just the game structure, but I wanted to touch on um, our expectations of this structure going into it um, and kind of because something that I've noticed uh, a lot as we've been reviewing these games and I've been experiencing them and we've been talking about our experiences is that Whenever I play a new game, um, a lot of my feelings on the game are often quite strongly colored by what I expect the experience to be like going in. 
um, and whether or not, you know, it lives up to that for better or worse, you know, even if perhaps the game's not even, you know, trying to do what I think it's trying to do. Um, so I think from this game, that was a big part of my experience when playing Eternal Darkness. So, um, as you said, this game is a horror-ish title that takes place in a big creepy mansion um, which is the scene of your father's murder um, and a lot of the game story structure is set up around this idea that you're exploring the mansion for clues as to who murdered your father um, and along the way you find all of these historical recounts of people in your family tree or important to your past uh, whose stories then become actual levels in the game. Um, and to me, on paper, I really, really, really like this idea. Because the first thing that this game conjures in my mind is flashbacks of Resident Evil 1, right? You're in this big, you know, creepy mansion filled with monsters and puzzles, um, and you're trying to piece together a murder based on all these, like, journal pages. So to me, that's kind of... Like, when I was reading about this game, the first thing I thought was like, okay, you'll find all these things and you've got to um, use these journal pages to solve puzzles and that kind of thing. And I structurally love this idea. Um, and then in practice, I kind of found it to be not as well executed as I wanted to, um, because what I thought would kind of be split up into maybe... Uh, half an hour of exploring the creepy mansion filled with puzzles and then you get stuck on a puzzle and then you need to find you know one of these levels to go into and that will give you some information to solve the next puzzle it was more like you find a level do the level for like 40 minutes come out of the level and then you get basically a key that you use on a door and immediately get another level so it's like 40 minutes, 1 minute, 40 minutes, if that makes any sense. And that kind of was one of the big things for me about this game that I felt uh, didn't live up to what I wanted to get out of it, I guess. Yeah, I, that's that's a fantastic point and one I really agree with. I think the interesting thing, because for me, I too also thought Resident Evil was going to be my main point of comparison going into this. But the more I played, the more I realized that this is not a survival horror game. No. This game, and I described it as a survival horror game when I posted it to Twitter, because that's what I thought it was. And mm. in fact, I would say this game has more in common with Uncharted than it does Resident Evil. It's it's an action game, right? Like, Well, yeah, This and specifically, it's a cinematic action adventure yes. game. And yes. horror is the theming it's the flavor it's the sprinkling on top that you know lends it the nature of the storytelling but from a gameplay point of view from the nature of the experience you're actually being involved with this is a linear cinematic adventure game it is not a survival horror game and like you i was very taken aback by this and honestly disappointed because i thought we were going into action adventure territory However, on the show many times before, I feel like, as you said, our expectations have gotten the better of us. So I think that it is important to judge it on those merits and not on what it isn't and what we were expecting it to be. 
Yeah, it's interesting because when you say something like the game is, it's horror theming, but it's not a horror game, do you mean to say it's not scary? Because it's interesting. When I first started playing this game and I first loaded into the mansion, um, I actually found it really creepy and I was tiptoeing around like afraid of what I'd find in every room. Um, and this quickly... I'm going to say dis dissolved, and that stopped being the case quite quickly for me. Um, but when I was reading people's, like, accounts, you know, people were saying that this was a really scary game for them, um, and this was a horror game, and uh, this game actually has a number of survival elements in it as well. Like, it has a bunch of health and sanity and mana meters you need to juggle. So it it's not... I wouldn't say it's entirely like an action game. It still has these elements. I almost feel like it was intended to be that kind of game. But when I sit down and play it, I feel like I'm just playing, you know, like you said, Uncharted. Yeah, I think that um, at first it definitely comes out, out that way. And this is kind of something we'll get into the gameplay mechanics later. But basically the mechanics are set up in such a way that those survival aspects may as well be completely irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, resource management and all that stuff. But I want to talk about that later. I, I guess specifically on your question of, like, is it scary? Uh, yeah, I, I found, I like you, I found it a bit creepy at first. But I think that when you realize that the mansion is basically harmless to you as Alexandra for the first three quarters of the game, and that the... I guess, individual narratives that you jump into end up starting to feel a bit samey and I guess not uniquely scary. There is there is one mission in particular which I found quite frightening and that's the one where we should probably just declare spoilers here, James, because it's going to be hard to get into the detail of these different vignettes. So spoilers for anyone who hasn't watched it. But We're going into spoilers, I guess, but I guess we won't go into, you know, major plot spoilers. Yeah, yeah we'll, ju we'll just like the kinds of levels you'll be seeing sort of spoilers. So in terms of something that I found genuinely unnerving, it's the one where you play the page boy uh, trying to deliver a message to Charlemagne. And as you try to reach him, you become more and more injured to the point where you resemble a zombie and i found that that unnerving i found that scary in a way that i found very little else in the game kind of scary i wouldn't use the word scary i guess disturbing maybe yeah disturbing's a better word like the way he was transforming yeah i actually thought they did a good job of getting across what they wanted to there um in general, I would describe. I think this this game leans a lot into like cosmic horror, eldritch horror, like Lovecraftian stuff, um, and I have very mixed feelings about how it does this. How this is trying to be a genre of horror that I don't think the game mechanics and the story fully support as well as it could have. Um, in general, I think that this kind of horror um, actually translates really poorly to a visual medium because one of the, the big tenets, I guess, of cosmic horror is like this idea of the unknowable, this thing beyond human comprehension. And I think that style of writing 
just works so much better in written form where you can't see what's actually happening and you have to um, imagine everything from text basically. Um, when translating this into, you know, like an N64 game turned GameCube game, I'm not quite sure they were able to pull it off, you know, as well as they could have throughout the entire game, but this one chapter uh, with the bellboy slowly becoming a bit grotesque, I did quite like. In in my opinion, it completely fails in its attempt to do cosmic horror. Just it's just a complete and utter failure. What what we're really dealing with here is like traditional voodoo horror or demons. Um, they want death and destruction and ensla- enslavement rather than being fundamentally unknowable, like you said. So I. I'm not like an expert on this Eldritch horror genre, but for a few examples, um, Color Out of Space, um, there's a movie called Annihilation. Uh, Juni, I don't know if you're familiar with Junji Ito, um, James. A little bit. The, the, yeah, the spirals. But but even something like the Warhammer 40,000 gods, which are, in my opinion, you know, kind of weak cosmic horror gods, at least have weird shit about them in terms of their goals. Like uh, the one that wants everyone to be diseased and thinks that it's granting them a blessing, for example. Like that's at least something uniquely weird and kind of outside our normal experience. These demons, sorry, these cosmic entities in this game are just the most vanilla, boring ultimate bad guys that you can imagine and as horrifying as it is it does it never can reach existential dread because of that i i would say bloodborne as well probably did this thousands of times better than this game ever did yeah there was definitely times in bloodborne like there's a uh, there's a scene where you kill an enemy named murgo's wet nurse you know um and then when you kill the wet nurse you can hear this crying baby in the background um and a message on screen says you know great evil vanquished you you never saw this thing you just heard it crying in weird corners of the city occasionally and that kind of thing you know that works for me you know you never actually see you're not quite sure what's going on that kind of thing i can really get behind even just the reveal of the amygdalias in bloodborne is one of the greatest things ever yeah like it's just it's just insane like all of a sudden you can just see these things all over the city that were there the entire time. It creeped me the crap out. Like, Yeah, and they were just there the entire time watching yeah. you. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that too. Yeah, so my biggest issue is that the game is very systematic in its gameplay um, and its level structure to the point where it makes all of the cosmic horror dudes and enemies fit into these nice little neat boxes that are completely understandable from the get-go. The most blatant example of this is, so in the story you find out that there are three, or there's four, but there's three primary ancient horrors that you're concerned with, um, and in-game, they have their, their servants come into reality and fight you, and they represent this by colouring them different colours. And when I say different colours, I mean like bright fluoro blue, bright fluoro green enemies, and bright fluorescent red enemies. Um, 
and you get magic which you can use to do damage to these monsters and it's a simple scissors paper rock system where it's pokemon yeah it's like literally green does damage to blue blue does damage to red red <laughs> does damage to green and it's like how is this tying into the unknowable horror it's literally just pokemon <laughs> it's like yeah. these things are so understandable you see the monsters immediately you see one of the gods within like five minutes of starting the game i don't know it, it did a very poor job of selling a mystery to me or selling this idea of things beyond the imagination it was just an a an action game with brightly color-coded monsters in some ways it's interesting because the two big i guess survival horror games that we've played that are you know considered by a lot of people to be the you know the standards of the genre are silent hill 2 and now resident evil remake and i think we both broadly came to the same consensus that resident evil remake was a triumph of gameplay mechanics and silent hill 2 was a triumph of story and atmosphere yep. and i think that eternal darkness does neither like silent hill 2 obviously it's not cosmic horror but it managed to create an absolutely terrifying psychological atmosphere. horror yeah so but it, it did it by really not showing much like by underselling what it was showing you and even the standard enemies in the game the mannequin nurses were kind of like somehow terrifying on some level in this game you fight zombies like they're just yeah. zombies if you if you're trying to do cosmic horror you cannot have your baseline enemy be zombies it's just Humanoid not going to work unless you eventually build up to something far weirder and more disturbing like like what bloodborne does with its transition into a cosmic horror game so basically james on this i agree with you i i really think that this is and it's why i say this isn't a survival horror game it's a cinematic adventure game with a sprinkling of horror theming it is a horror game but it's not a horror to its core like it it doesn't get the bits about horror that are important right it just wants you to go on an adventure to a theme to a horror horror it wants you to go on a horror ride maybe is a good way to put it yeah and honestly that's fine i guess um it's just a matter of expectation and if you want to play this game you need to you know accept that this is more like you know, a game with fun Halloween theming more than, you know, a creepy delve into the human psyche kind of horror. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. I will say there was one aspect of this that I thought the game did quite well. Mm -hmm. um, and that was every time you begin a new chapter, they have Edward Royvas, the main character's like murdered father, um, narrate a bit of spiel before the level starts. Um, and I thought Edward's voice acting was A, really good, and that the writing actually did capture what I think to be, like, the essence of cosmic horror. Like, it alludes to stuff, and it's, like, creepy, and, you know, it talks about things beyond the understanding. And But it kind of, it sets your expectation for something good to come, and then... You never get paid off for that setup, I guess. I, I feel like part of the problem here is the structure of the game where the storytelling is broken up into so many vignettes. Uh, 
because it's a bunch of individual stories, we never really get the characters of these stories built up to a point where we care about them. Uh, it just kind of has that brief spiel and then boom, you're in a dungeon fighting for survival, right? And you yep. always start your fight for survival against some zombies and then you're avoiding traps and it's the same thing over and over again. I feel like what I wanted and what I thought this game needed to do was, as you said, really concentrate on Alex and have half the game be Alex in this mansion. And I think that there was an opportunity here for Alex to slowly be descending into what seemed like insanity as she read more and more pages but the game just doesn't do that you just get a story after a story after a story yeah i was also surprised that all of these levels and stories are presented in perfect chronological order um i think that like this kind of horror really lends itself well to a story that's told a bit out of order where things don't make sense for a long time and then slowly you get these reveals that make things tie together mm -hmm. um i think that kind of thing work, would work well here but here it's I'd, i forget how many characters there are would you say like eight ten maybe ten 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 to twelve some, ten to twelve yeah range, there's yeah. ten to twelve characters every single level has a completely different character who you play as for maybe you know 20 to 40 minutes um and then you never see them again almost um and then they have like uh you know like 10 lines of dialogue tops in each of their levels i was really surprised that in that there were so many characters who were all so shallowly fleshed out um, compared to having, you know, a, a smaller cast who we find a bunch of pages that I thought we were going to revisit characters and like see them at different points in their life. I, I don't want to be too negative on it because I do think time and care has been put into giving these characters, I guess, unique, unique uh, care for the time period that they're in. Like, yes. every single character has unique statistics. Like, you can tell they're running at different speeds. They have different health, mana, and sanity bars. Um, they have different unique tools. Like, when you're playing the archaeologist, yes. he's got a brush to get rid of dust and everything. And I think that they actually do a good enough job distinguishing them gameplay-wise. Gameplay-wise, yeah. Yeah, but, but story-wise, I just really didn't give a shit about any of them. Like, I just didn't care. And the, one of the things that really stood out to me, I don't know if this bothered you at all, James, but when they're interacting with an item, it's done in the third person. Like, it's yes. not, I am, you know, I don't know what this is, or, you know, even passive first person, like, the mantle on the wall was was dusty it says you know uh jin ho thought that thinks that this is a bad idea and it's like what you're trying to break my immersion from the character even more like you don't want me to be immersed in this character and i know why they did that they did it because you're reading a book and they want it to be but i i found it really bizarre i um i don't like the characters in this game yeah i I liked the I liked Edward like the the murdered father and I liked mm -hmm. the the guy who gets locked in the room the asylum mm -hmm. um he was good cuz he actually had a few 
extra little bits of story about him mm-hmm. but there was characters like the final guy in the church or the guy in the oil field or the guy who had to guard one of the artifacts that just yeah, the guy who was in love yeah or the guy who got frozen in the tower where a lot of them felt a bit superfluous almost um mm. and it it was even weirder because some of these characters that felt superfluous narratively, um, a lot of their levels took place in places you had already been before. Um, so, you know, one level will take place in a temple right at the start of the game. Uh, and then two, is it like three more characters have their levels take place in the exact same temple? Um, which is, you know, slightly different, but quite similar in a lot of ways. So that was the one area of the game where I actually gave it a pass, that they're reusing the same environments. Like, I didn't love these environments intrinsically, but I did think it was interesting seeing that church, like, eventually transformed into a field hospital in World War One. Like, I didn't, I didn't hate that. Like, I just that was wish good. That, the, that um... was specifically one of the like the good ways to do this. Um, also, like the reuse of the mansion that you're in, and how the mansion, how like different doors and wings to the mansion get added over time. Yes, I think it was specifically the ones that were more dungeons, like the the temples, as you said, where I was just like. I'm so bored of this environment. Like, it's just it's just a bunch of repetitive corridors. The temple is specifically bad because a lot of the corridors are filled with these traps. Um, and you have to walk up and down them so many times. Yeah, and you have to be careful because you'll take heaps of damage if you don't, yeah, tiptoe around them. Um, I liked when you went back to the same locations, saw how it changed and then explored a different part of it or Mm -hmm. a part that was different enough that it didn't feel like I was redoing gameplay I had already done. Um, There was definitely segments in this game where I felt like I've already done this three times. Why is the game making me do this again? When you have so many characters, you have this opportunity to have you know, this diverse set of experiences. The fact that there was only a few environments for all of them was a bit of a downer for me. Yeah, that that is that is fair. I, I guess it's just the one area of the game where I gave it a pass. Like, if you're going to tell a story, like, over time, it it's not the worst thing in the world to have the environments the same as long as they are transformed by time. And I think you're saying that when they haven't been transformed by time, it feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, it feels like backtracking almost, um, yeah. but worse. <laughs> how, how did you feel about a lot of the stories in and on themselves? Like I've said before that I wasn't the biggest fan of the characters. Did you think any of the individual narrative arcs uh, were enjoyable? Yeah, I did actually. Like the one you mentioned with that young bloke um, at the, the church um, and his transformation I thought was cool and creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked, I actually liked most of the levels that took place at the church, like uh, the second guy who got himself roped into some serious shit and was trying to, like, you know, work out what was going on. Um, and the reporter, like you said, where it was taking place in the middle of the war, I really liked that bit near the end where the win- like the windows shattered, um, mm. stuff like that, uh, and reading the letters from the soldiers. 
uh, that kind of thing was good. Um, and I'd say I didn't love any of these, um, but I found a few of them like enjoyable enough and intriguing enough to be happy to play more of the game. Like especially when I first started playing the game, I found the first few stories to be quite good at showing you a bunch of different things and making you want to see if there was more because I think you know like I said Edward's narration at the beginning of each level gives this like loftiness it's it's almost like a trick it like tricks you into thinking that there's something mysterious here that you want to see more of um and before you know I'd played a lot more of the game and the wool fell from my eyes you know, I found the first maybe two or three character stories to be quite engaging. Um, and then it just, I felt like I hit this point where there was no mystery anymore. It doesn't build to anything, right? It's, it's, just, it's just a bunch of, you get into this weird situation where you don't fully understand, then you run around solving puzzles, and then the story ends. That's that's how it felt for me. Whether you're the archaeologist or the surveyor or the you know person during the time of the Inquisition, it's all kind of the same. Like you're you're not really advancing this overall story, even though there are links that happen, even though there are random artifacts that show up that end up being useful in the end. You don't really get an idea of it building towards a bigger picture. It's just you do a bunch of stuff and then, you know, at the ending of the game, it finally comes together. It doesn't create enough questions is my biggest problem. Um, <laughs> so much of the time your character just dies at the end and you're like, oh, okay. I guess yeah. that ended tra in tragedy. All right, what's next? <laughs> yeah, because the game starts with a question. It's who murdered your father? And by, like, the second level, you've probably got a pretty good, you know, inkling as to who did it, right? Uh, it's not exactly, <laughs> you know, it's, like, not exactly a mystery at that point. And it's funny, they actually, like, frame it like a big reveal near the end when they show you it happening. It's like, are you kidding me? It's, like, the like, the most uneventful murder I've ever seen is, like, yep, that's what I imagined to have happened, and it definitely did. Um, and then, you know, they, the story cuts to the villain a lot. Like, between these levels, you cut to the villain talking to his ancient evil overlord master and scheming, which... They may as well played the same cutscene 12 times, honestly. It was exactly yeah. the same every <laughs> single time. It was, they don't stand a chance to get us soon, your evil will rule over the world every single time my god warcraft 3 had better consulting with demon shit than this starcraft 2 has better consulting with demon shit than this it was uninspired to the extreme i yeah i i have to say the existence of these things actually did more harm than if they weren't there like once again we just returned to this idea that we're dealing with cosmic horrors here these scenes made these cosmic horrors seem banal and boring and lacking any kind of character whatsoever i i really hated these scenes every single one it's so funny because like cosmic horror entities like they appear in lovecraft's work are kind of so immense in scale and beyond comprehension that they have no concern for human life basically like they're not framed as being 
good or evil. They're just, they have their own unknowable motivations. But in this game, I don't know about, because there's actually three different playthroughs of this game where there's a different villain based on a choice at the start. Um, I chose the blue one, who seemed to be like the the brainy kind of ancient evil. Oh, a big um, Charmander. Just a big brutish guy. It's just yeah. terrible. Yeah, well, my guy was very, like, he was smug and sarcastic and a bit of a prick. He, he Honestly, he reminded me of, like, the Bachelor from Pathologic. Like, he was just such <laughs> a, such a up-himself prick. Yeah, it was not like, what you uh, want from a cosmic horror, really. Yeah, it was all. It was like the highlight of the ancient evil was how like self righteous and a bit of a prick he was. Um, Man, we really don't like this story, do we, James? Yeah, and I, I like. I want to stress that I resent the story of this game because I had high expectations when reading, you know, reviews and what people thought of it and what kind of game it was. Because everything on paper is so good. Like I. If you just took everything this game was trying to do and had a different studio make the game, I reckon you could have you could make a ten out of ten masterpiece with the if, ideas oh, in this okay, game. Another way of putting that is if we were to rate games based on how they sounded on paper instead of how they played, this would be a ten out of ten. Yeah, like everything <laughs> on paper is so good, like and there's so this... clever and so yeah. Yeah, it's like, I love the idea of having this big mansion filled with puzzles that I need to explore and put together clues about this mystery that then have this, you know, time-hopping adventure stuff where you're trying to figure out what happened in the past at the same time. But it just tells you everything so straight, and there's not much puzzle solving in the mansion. It's like, you just, you each of the levels gives you a key and you instantly know where the key goes and that opens a box which has another level in it. Mm-hmm. It's not puzzle solving, it's just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I want to emphasize that I think that a lot of what this this storytelling is at a baseline level are inoffensive. It's fine. Like, yeah, it, it's fine. All these criticisms we made of it, this isn't like Resident Evil tier voice acting. Um, And we've done a lot of bad stories in video games. This is not like the worst story I've ever experienced. And there are moments throughout that are quite compelling. It's just that it completely fails to realize this premise of cosmic horror. I think that I was uninvested in the characters because of how it was structured. And I think that ultimately it ends up being fairly bland in terms of the the villain and the things that you're trying to do to stop it there is something to be said for the fact that it's a bunch of like somewhat ordinary people that are fighting against this ancient evil you know it's off it's a lot of the time you know this old professor and you know this random soldier and everything which which is somewhat interesting but it never gives us enough story development on those characters for us to get properly invested in them so our heartstrings you know really feel for them when Mm. when things go wrong so i think that the storytelling on the whole is bad and i didn't enjoy the story and that's disappointing yeah and that's why i brought up my expectation right at the start because Mm -hmm. i think a lot of my dislike of the story is because of my expectation rather than it being, you know, a truly horrible story or anything. Like, it's fine um, in some ways. Um, It's just 
like I can see it being so much better than this and, and that it, hurts me <laughs> I think it's worth for me to I guess declare my bias against this type of storytelling I have never liked cinematic action adventure games even ones as critically acclaimed as you know last of us i really don't like these very light gameplay heavy cinematic experiences and while this is nowhere near as cinematic as something like uncharted i can definitely feel the feel the chords i can feel this as a precursor to what was to come so i'm already kind of a bit against this genre as a whole it's funny because i love this kind of thing like i always mm -hmm. love these kinds of games you know when you play them um you know you play one every few years and you have a great time i, I really enjoy them like i love uncharted and all that i love 80 long hour rpgs where 90 percent of it is like stupid dialogue and that and kind I did of thing <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i love that kind of thing um so if james doesn't like it oh look out yeah basically now, we need to go to a music break soon um, and then talk about the gameplay. I just had one really short thing I did want to touch on, to be fair to the game. Mm -hmm. I actually do think there is a level of attention to detail here um, that, based on how little I enjoyed the rest of the story, I was actually kind of surprised at. Um, for example, there's lots of little things that are implied throughout the story that they never actually mention out loud. Um, which I noticed and was actually kind of impressed by. Like, for example, um, each of the four gods has a color um, associated with it, uh, green, red, blue, um, and purple. And later on in the game, there are these obstacles, because all of the magic is brightly colored like the, the ancients, so you know which one it belongs to. There are these, like, floor traps that are, like, bright yellow, um, that appear in a few places, and that kind of like hints towards like a fifth kind of lore god that opposes the chaos god present in the story. And I think that really well ties into half the game being set in this church and kind of implies this like link, weird, creepy link to Christianity that I thought, you know, I get why they didn't do this overtly back when you know, coming out on a Nintendo console back then, but I kind of liked that. Um, similarly, there is this gameplay element where you get sent to another dimension, which I hated from a gameplay point of view. Um, but then later on in the game, you get this magic that summons these monsters that you can use to send things to the alternate dimension. And there's a few puzzles where you need to, like, send stone blocks into the other dimension to move them out of the way. Um, and then after you do those puzzles, the next time you go to the alternate dimension, you can actually see all those objects scattered around the place, um, you know, that you've sent there, which I thought was really cool. Um, there's stuff like this all throughout the game that I did appreciate, um, and I thought, you know, made for better storytelling than any of the um, explicit stuff that was told to us, but it wasn't like, you know, I wouldn't, I don't love this game it doesn't raise my opinion of the story enough to love it but i did think you know went beyond my expectation from this point of view i think the yellow light being god makes so much sense and it once again points to those cosmic entities if you just think of them as hell demons all of a sudden it all kind of starts to make a bit more sense right yeah you know them being demons that are tempting humans and wanting to conquer the world 
just feels so much more on brand than them being cosmic entities. So I think you're right, James. I think at one point this was probably a far more Christian-themed game. Um, and somewhere in the development cycle, probably when they figured out that deal with Nintendo, they had to change it. Change that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like that they managed to sneak it in there as well. So, yeah. All right, let's go to a music break. Um, we, I already chose my song and I'm going to go for it. I don't remember a lot of the music from this game, which is weird um, because the soundtrack that I found in the OSTs is actually quite long and I don't remember half of the music on the soundtrack. I only remember like two or three songs very vividly. Um, the one which I'll play for you guys now is the main Roivus Manor theme, which I enjoyed the most because even though you hear it the most, um, I heard it during the part of the game where I was still convinced that this was a scary horror title and the weird like little whispers throughout the soundtrack I thought was really good and creepy. Uh, I really sold the atmosphere for me until I realized this was an action game. Um... Patrick, how did you how did you feel about the music? I felt mostly unimpressed. I barely remember it. I I think this is a problem not with the soundtrack intrinsically, but how it's utilized. There's actually I, a lot of parts of this game that has no music at all, and the parts that do, do have music feel almost random in their inclusion throughout a level. And I think that yeah, they did a bad job deciding when to play the music and fitting the music to the levels because like you i can remember two or three somewhat vividly and then the rest nothing and listening back to the ost because i listened back to it earlier today it seems right up my alley it's like brooding and atmospheric and you know barely there it's it's one half step away from ambient droning but for whatever <laughs> reason the way it's utilized in this game left me feeling very unimpressed and it's very unmemorable as a result so yeah music didn't stand out to me yeah, because it's weird, because I agree with you. When I was listening back, I was like, oh, these songs are good. Like, I think the actual content of the music is great. Um, and what I did here, I really liked. Um, I liked the music I heard through the temple, in the church, um, in the mansion. You know, I never, I always liked the music when I heard it. Um, but like you said, uh, you don't hear it that often. And, you know, it's weird because, like you said, a lot of it, is background ambient noise which you know they we could love. have just had playing all the time because i get this idea of not playing the melodic tracks all the time to sell the creepy atmosphere but why aren't you using the ambient stuff more i, I don't get it well when you're in the mansion that track plays a hundred percent of the time yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. it's fine like it's it's not annoying or anything so yeah very very odd odd decisions yeah, so anyway, this is the Royvus Manor theme. I think it's my favourite track. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it.
Alrighty, that was Ravis Manor. I think it's time to start talking a bit about the actual gameplay systems um, in Eternal Darkness. And I would say most of my positive feelings about the game um, are scattered around in this area. There are a lot of systems here in play that I like parts of, um, but again, like the story, I think there's a problem in execution. Um, so let's start talking about the basic combat. You know, so in each of the levels, you'll have a different weapon based on what character you're playing. These range from swords to guns, things like that. Um, and you play a kind of in a third-person action kind of perspective. There's fixed cameras, and you you know you freely walk around. It's not like lock strafe or anything like that, and you but you can lock on to enemies by holding a button. Um, and critically, while you're locked on to enemies, you can move around with the left analog stick, and the right analog stick actually causes you to target different points of the body um, on the enemies. So, for example, if you target the enemy and push up on the stick, you'll see their head flash white, and that means you'll swing down and chop their head. Um, likewise, if you hold left or right, uh, their arms will start flashing, and then you can, you know, lop their arms off. I found this control scheme and this system actually quite intuitive. Um, there is a tutorial that explains how this works. I worked out how it worked immediately upon fighting the first enemy, basically, and was like, oh, this is cool. Um, you can do this. And I think the inclusion of this system is why a lot of the enemies ended up being zombies, because they just work with what, you know, they had programmed it to work with. It's a, it's a real-time vagrant story. You think so? Well, I mean, I mean, I'm saying it half in jest. I mean, Vagrant Story had that uh, targeting different body parts thing yeah. going on, so yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I thought of when I first started playing this game. I'm like, oh, it's Vagrant Story, but in real time. <laughs> uh, how did you feel about that? Like, ultimately, I don't think they went as far as they could have with this system. Like, when they introduce it, you can you kind of figure out, all right, what I'll do is I'll hit their head. Oh, he keeps walking around without his head. All right, I'll lop his arms off so he can't hit me. And then you kind of do that for every enemy. You kind well, you of go... Crowd, you crowd control, right? You lop off heads, you lop off the next guy's head, and then when you've got a spare window, you can start focusing on actually knocking them down. Um, I thought it was... Uh, so I describe it as most of the time it's fine. I think this is a problem when combined with a fixed camera angle system, though. Um, in Resident Evil, the fixed camera worked fine for much better for range combat than it did for melee. And the reason for that is because it's a fixed camera, it's often going to be at an angle where the exact range between you and an enemy and the exact, I guess, a lot of what you're doing is getting at the right range, lopping off a head, and then ducking back out of range. But a lot of these camera angles at melee range don't necessarily perfectly suit the combat, and you don't always have a clear idea of the angles. So it just felt awkward to me a lot of the time you know, clunky, for want of a better word. I, d I don't know if you felt the same way, James, but I, I basically thought it was fine, but sometimes frustrating. 
Okay, I never had problems like that because I like when you aim up is always head it, it, and left and right are always left and right arms. It didn't, you know, the perspective didn't affect where you needed to aim. Um, sometimes I got like trapped in a corner um, if I wasn't paying attention, but for most part it worked really well for me and I found that I was actually quite impressed at how well the system translated between melee and ranged combat. Like, it just effortlessly worked exactly the same targeting-wise between both of them. Um, you know, when I think of other third-person combat games like, you know, Elden Ring or Dark Souls, right? Um, I find that switching to ranged combat in those games is really clunky. How so? I feel like I don't have as much control with a bow and arrow in Dark Souls as I do with a short sword. Mm -hmm. um, like, there aren't as many options for me. It's slower. Um, it doesn't feel like the game is designed to be played entirely in that way in a lot of ways. Whereas here, I felt perfectly comfortable both in melee and with a ranged weapon at all times basically like i could always pop heads with a pistol from across a room or shoot an arm off if i needed to um it just worked great for me and then i guess you know my only real gripes with the this system is that they didn't take it anywhere interesting um, it stays the same from basically the very first enemy you encounter to the end. They don't add any interesting wrinkles like this enemy has a weapon in one hand so it's better to lop that hand off. Uh, it's always just like heads of everyone than the arms of everyone and that was it. Yeah, it, it's functional and fine but ultimately uninteresting and I can't help but think back to Resident Evil and I think the funny thing about Resident Evil is that the combat in Resident Evil isn't like necessarily more intrinsically interesting than the combat in this game. But the zombie as an obstacle to your progress, to the effect it has on your resources, to even the decision whether you kill it or move past it, is so much more meaningful and interesting than, I guess, the gameplay the the additive gameplay element of targeting the head yeah if if that makes sense like i i well, I'm, I'm not dis targeting in a yeah way. i i guess i'm not disagreeing with you like it's i agree it's functional and fine it's just that that's all it is yeah because from the very beginning of the game you'll be facing four or five of these zombies in a room at the same time like it, it, that happens on the first the first level or the second level so it's yep. not like it's hesitating to throw a lot of these enemies at you and it never as you said evolves into anything else so it ends up being a fine filler thing um i would argue it becomes fairly repetitive but it's not it's not like i hated it yeah like at the start i liked it a lot actually mm -hmm. yeah that's um, that's true as well yeah and then by the end I, you know, I was okay. It was whatever to me, I guess. But to be fair, the combat had evolved past that by the end of the game. Yes, that's true. Um, that's not the entirety of the combat. Yeah, no. Um, so there is a second... And I want to come back to the enemies later, but let's go to the second part of the combat. So this was probably my favorite part of the game. This next part was the magic system. So mm. over the course of Eternal Darkness, you will discover these runes and these spell pages 
um, that you can use to combine together to make magic. Now, like for example, uh, the way all the spells work is that there is a rune for each of the outer, you know, the ancient evil gods, you know, the red, the blue, and the green one. Um, and then there are these other runes, like there'll be one rune that's protect, um, and there'll be another rune that's, you know, area or something like that. And then what you do in your menu, when you find enough runes, you can combine them to make a spell. Although, you know, for the first, I'd say like 70% of the game, you get these scrolls that just give you the spell instead. Um, but you make the spell, and then your character has to cast the spell, which kind of involves you selecting the spell from the menu, and then the runes will appear etched in the floor sequentially while these creepy voices whisper the name of the runes. Um, and then after, you know, a few seconds of chanting the, the channel spell, it... Importantly, you can't move. If you move, it interrupts the spell. You gotta you cast the spell and you're standing still while it's happening. Yeah, and if you get hit, it interrupts the spell cast. Um, and I liked this a lot, actually, because in combat... You wanted to use spells because they were powerful, but there was like a risk to, you know, where do you cast this? Can I cast this without getting hit? Um, later on in the game, you get stronger versions of your existing spells, which take longer to cast. So mm -hmm. the old I ones aren't obsoleted. Yeah. Yeah, because they're quick. Um, and I liked this quite a bit. I thought it matched the theming of the game. I liked having the creepy voice um, chanting the spell. And I thought they did a reasonably okay job of having each spell have its own use. Later on in the game, some enemies will require you to use the spells to defeat them. Like, one of the spells is reveal invisible, and there's an enemy that briefly becomes invisible. So he's really hard to fight until you, you know, cast the spell. Um, some enemies summon these protective barriers that you need to dispel. Um, you know, you can use spells to heal in a pinch, that kind of thing. You can uh, put damage prevention on yourself to walk over dangerous floor tiles, that kind of thing. Um, I thought they did an okay job with this system. I think they could have gone further with it and made you use them in more and increasingly interesting scenarios. But I thought it was cool that the game had you transition from this primarily like melee uh, and gun-based combat and then later on in the game, I found myself using spells more and more until I was basically a wizard. And I thought that was cool. Um, although I do have my problems with the system, but I'll let you go first. Well, I was going to say the main thing about the magic, I, I also think that the magic actually is the most interesting part of this game by far as well. It's certainly the most mechanically developed. Uh, but I found that it was ultimately limited in the fact that uh, in order to cast a spell, you had to stand still and do nothing for a long time. Because it kind of pushed me to a kind of spell casting that I would say was uh, I used it to prepare for encounters rather than using it offensively. So mm. I found the most useful spell in the entire game by a million was the ability to cast a shield. Um, yep. So what I would do is whenever I had downtime is I would cast a shield, 
I would buff my weapons. And I'm sure this is an entire point in and of itself, James, but I would recover my health, my magic, and my sanity. So each and every room, I was at full health, full mana, full sanity. I would put on a shield and I would buff my weapon. And then once I was finished with a room, I would um, reapply all those buffs over and over again. Yes. I think that... This system's number one biggest detractor is the inclusion of the mana bar. Um, lots, especially later in the game, um, something I found infuriating was this thing you mentioned earlier that the characters have different stats. Um, there's a couple of characters that the time, like that you play as right near the end of the game, just as you're starting to get all the cool spells who have tiny mana bars. The the marine, right? The guy yeah, with the assault which, rifle. Yeah, <laughs> which means you can cast one spell. You can't even cast the max level spells, I don't think. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you just have to like kinda if you want to use more spells. I found out, I figured out that if you walk around, your mana goes up faster. I think it's based on <laughs> steps taken. So a very common play pattern for me was, you know, clear out a room, run around in a circle for like a minute and a half, cast one spell, run around for 30 seconds, cast another spell. And that to me is like the opposite of fun. It's like painful, but you kind of have to do it because the game is starting to throw more challenging stuff at you and to be honest you don't know what's coming next and i don't want to do the whole level again because i didn't prepare you know what i mean so i feel yeah. like i have to do it i'm scared to not when, do it when you've got a big enough mana pool like i said you can literally cast a spell to replenish your mana as well yeah. i think it's called magic pool or something yeah yeah it just um, constantly replenishes your it, mana and that's and fine it, basically every time you get to a point with no enemies with enough time you can replenish all of your stats to full and i think for me like i know that the low mana bars was your biggest problem but for me this was the biggest problem with the game um uh, and you know once again this isn't a survival horror game right this isn't a game that actually tr tries to restrict you on resources but to, it completely took out any of the resource management that i was expecting from this game because you're always at full magic health and sandy given enough time and the process to reach the maximum of all of these things is so tedious but you should do it because you want to be prepared for what's coming next. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to do this, if you're going to include a system that lets you get full health, full magic, and full sanity, but it takes, you know, three minutes to do, just have it make it happen automatically. Why why am I going through this time wasting song and dance if it's not actually costing me anything to do so? Yeah. <sighs> At the start of the game, right, so your meters are actually a bit of a resource in the first two levels. Yes. Yeah, they are. Because you don't have access to critically, I think it's the blue rune that lets you make the well, mana it's, recovery. It's different or, for each, um, each, depending on what rune you pick, James. So what, yeah. like I had access to, I think, um, sanity recovery at the start. Yeah, I had health was the first yeah. one I got. Yeah. Um, yeah, so up until that point, it's actually a little interesting because the way sanity works, um, and we'll talk about the effects of sanity a bit in a bit, um, but whenever you encounter an enemy, 
your sanity drops. Whenever you see an enemy because it's a scary monster, your character gets scared. Um, and then when you kill, like, you f knock the enemy to the ground and you, like, coup de gras them, that recovers a bit of sanity. Um, when, at the start of the game, that was the main way I was getting sanity back. Um, and it actually gave context to all the fights. Um, mm -hmm. I was killing every enemy I could because that was the only way to keep my sanity up. And I was, like, afraid of it dropping because when it drops, the game gets a bit spooky. Um, and then once I was able to refill my meters trivially, like, it was so easy. Like, there's literally nothing stopping you from having full meters oh, after, fine. like, yeah, after, like, I don't know, like, halfway through the game, probably before then. And at that point, this isn't like an RPG, so you're not getting gold or experience from killing things. And this isn't Resident Evil where you're in these really tight corridors and one enemy can kill you by itself or impede your progress in a very significant way. So once I started being able to fill all my meters, I just... I couldn't see a reason to fight anything. Oh, also like I, your shield, you've got the shield spell, which makes you invulnerable to yeah, several that hits too, from right? enemies. Yeah, that too, right? Yeah, so I don't know if you've got, got... But, like, halfway through the game, I just stopped fighting the enemies and just ran everywhere. It was like, I, there's, um, there's no reason to fight anything anymore. Uh, I, I stopped fighting as many. I still fought some because the nature of the level design is kind of uh, backtracky in some parts. Yep. So I liked being able to clear out certain areas. But certainly towards the end, I was yeah sprinting past everything unless um, I had no other choice. Did you find the fourth rune, by the way? The purple rune? I did, although I didn't really use it much. Like I found out after the fact, after doing some reading, that you could cast invisibility on yourself with it, which I never learned how to do. And I'm kind of grateful for it because that sounds like it would make it even more trivial than it already is. Yeah, so the fourth rune actually modifies your existing spells in weird ways. So if you cast Reveal Invisible with Mantarok, then you turn yourself invisible instead. Uh, I um, never figured that out while playing the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, then I tried it with uh, Magic Pool and it just restores all three meters at once. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I did do that one. I yeah. Out that one. yeah, yeah. Once you have that, um, yeah, the game is very, very easy. Though you did have to solve a, you know, a not insignificant puzzle to get access to it. Yeah, I think at the end of it, like, it's not that. Yeah, I, I don't want to be too harsh on this system because it is, it is obviously pretty in depth, and they. It's I cool. Would say, I like what it. I, what I would say is that as the game progresses, magic almost becomes a form of puzzle solving with yeah. interacting with enemies you know when you start using the bind spells and the you're using this the dispel magic fields it's like okay now i can fight this enemy yep. it's just that i feel like in terms of its offensive potential i think there are some damage spells like there's a damage feel but i never really felt the need to use it and i found that in fact melee combat ended up being stronger Easier. than ranged combat most of the time the, the fact that you can throw up a shield kind of stopped me wanting to complete these encounters perfectly as well because i could just run up to a lot of these enemies and just mash attack 
or mash attack aiming at their head or whatever. And if I'm getting through it and I can heal to full afterwards, why would I bother trying to do these encounters perfectly? Yeah, I, I liked the magic as a form of puzzle solving, um, getting, you know, figuring out how to progress. Then I did a combat tool, I guess, because it ended up just being too strong uh, and solving too many problems. Well, I love the magic system in this game, and I liked the melee combat in this game. Where I think that the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay suffers, basically, is in the enemy design, which doesn't push you to use these things as much as it should do. Like, the enemies often don't prevent you progressing in a meaningful way, and there's only, I think each ancient has, like, one special enemy that requires uh, a number of spells in order to beat it um, and then there's a couple of boss fights that are basically like magic puzzles um, and I thought those were fun yeah they, they were I, I enjoyed those the problem is like 90% of the enemies you fight in these games are just different colored zombies you fight red zombies you fight blue zombies you fight black zombies you fight you know green zombies um, and you fight them all in exactly the same way. They don't push you to experiment. And it's a huge problem because this, to me, the magic has a huge potential and it never fully lives up to the greatness that I feel like this system could have. Like, I want another game to come out with this magic system, with this we combat. Play, we need to play Ox Vitalis, James. Put it on the list. <laughs> is it? Is it got I... this kind of magic? Yeah, it literally does. You collect runes, and then you can combine the runes to create spells. Oh, boy, yeah, put yeah. that on the list. Yeah, yeah I want to play it. Is, it. <laughs> it is on the list, yeah. I mean, I've been wanting to do it for a while because, you know, we did Dark Messiah and loved it. But, yeah, that's literally the magic system of Arx Fatalis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Sounds like we're doing Arx Fatalis this year, baby. <laughs> Sometime this year, yeah. <laughs> um. I guess the only the ma the only other major complaint I'd say I have is that I didn't like the the spell pages at all. I hate them. I hate their inclusion in the game. Basically, you know, the game just tells you what the spells are for the first like eighty percent of the game. You get the spell page that tells you what the spell is before you get the rune. In most okay. cases, e explain that, James, because. I don't like randomly experimenting with crap until I hit upon a thing. Um, I never liked... One of the reasons I've never really dabbed with alchemy in a lot of games is that the way a lot of these alchemy systems are, it's just combine random ingredients and see what happens. Do you enjoy systems like that? Like just combining stuff together and seeing what happens? Yeah, I like systems like that a lot. I like experimenting with them and working out, okay, this does this. And now if I do this a little differently, okay, it does this. Okay, I can use this to solve the problem. That's that's fun to me. And mm. to me, near the end of the game, I discovered a couple of runes and I used them and oh, a couple of spells and their effects weren't totally clear to me. Um, and to me, that was great because that perfectly fits into this like horror theming about the unknown. Like when you have a bunch of spells that you kind of know what they do but you don't have you know something explicitly telling you and you have to figure it out that's what i wanted from this game i guess um and this yeah. system 
So just just with this system, there's a game I played that's pretty much brand new that I actually love called Strange Horticulture. Yep. And the whole idea behind this game is that you collect plants and you need to identify them and then prescribe them based on, you know, customers' requests. Yes. And I liked that game and what it does because it was a more it's a more scientific approach to categorizing these things and you know you'd label them and understand how they all fit my problem with a game like this and the experimentation is it just feels like i'm throwing out random combinations until i get the thing i'm after and the only way i'll ever really enjoy that system is if there's like a support structure sitting around it where i can research it and kind of do stuff in a more categorical informed way well uh so i i didn't have a problem with the with the spell text well critically i think a good system like this the first couple of things you do is random because you need you need some data points and then from there once you have a few data points you can make inferences and then you can figure things out um it's not entirely throwing shit at a wall until you mm-hmm. have 100 percent of what you figured out like there is a bit of that but then that leads into a more logical structure that you work out on your yes, own like i find which, that which is what i want i yeah, want I find, reference documents yeah i find that compelling i'm fine with keeping it all in my head that's fine too okay. um but found i found it kind of like insulting honestly that the game just like on the box one of the things it says is that there's spell crafting (laughs) and i did not feel like i crafted a spell until like the end of the game where i crafted one on my own basically because i was really excited about that and then i feel like i was lied to well well let's talk about um probably the most for me was the most confusing puzzle in the game and in all honestly i still feel like i kind of brute forced it which is the um which is the big circle of power you do at the stargate because the final part final couple of levels in the game or level 9 and 11 or whatever it is uh there's a big circle of power that requires nine runes and you need to a lot of them are just set in stone but you need to select the correct runes did you enjoy that puzzle james were you able to figure it out first try or did you just stumble into it through repetition like i did um so i got it second try the first one i think so i start i tried magic attack first Mm-hmm. and then that didn't do anything so then i tried dispel and dispel just worked um so it wasn't that bad um i found the uh, the second one i couldn't tell what it wanted me to do i looked it up to be honest and then i was i was like oh oh that makes sense <laughs> yeah because i thought that was the one puzzle in the game that actively wasn't holding your hand that wasn't immediately it was an actual obvious puzzle and i yeah. still couldn't figure it out <laughs> i just uh yeah both of them took me two or three tries. Puzzles do have this tendency, like when they're being designed, to be either um, so easy a child could do it or, you know, impossible to figure out. And depending on who tries the puzzle, it could be either of these things. It's really hard to hit a nice middle ground with puzzle design, I think. Um, and Steven Sausage Roll, it's the only <laughs> game that hit that sweet spot, right, James? That sweet spot of... <laughs> uh too infuriating to play yeah (laughs) i liked the boss fight against the guardian that was a fun magic puzzle 
actually. Well, at the heart of it, this game is extremely linear. Yeah. Like, uh, it often requires backtracking through linear levels, but it's very, very linear. And this is why I bring up the comparison to Uncharted yet again. You're moving through a, a bunch of different set pieces. You're doing this puzzle, then you're doing this combat, then you're doing this puzzle. And the nature of these extremely linear kind of level design is that it's very hard for your puzzles to get too complicated because you're usually at most, you'll have two or three items in your inventory. And it's usually put the blue thing on the red thing, put the red thing on the green thing and the green thing on the blue thing and boom, you've solved the puzzle. So uh, yeah, the puzzles for the most part are only puzzles in the absolute weakest sense. Um, Like they're probably easier than most of the puzzles in modern zelda games for example yeah i'd agree with that like i I found all the shrines in like breath of the wild for example to be more enjoyable than these puzzles it's just they're there to break up the combat you know that's that's the thing it's it's a formula right you have a bit of combat you have a bit of um exploration then you have a puzzle and then you you move through those over and over again until the level ends they're all fine and they're all there like there's there's nothing really really bad about this game that i'm like this is horrible it's more that everything's just kind of ordinary and kind of unengaging and kind of uninteresting to be honest it's a very bland video game soup which is it's a weird thing to say for a game that seemingly on the surface has such a strong horrifying atmosphere and such you know theoretically interesting uh structural design kind of completely failed to meet my expectations um in a lot of ways i'd say but let's talk about sanity james yes this is the fun conversation right we get to talk about which ones we got okay so this is a i feel like this is more of a spoiler than the actual like narrative spoiler discussion um so yeah i agree <laughs> yeah so if you want to if this game actually sounds like something you want you, to play yeah yeah i mean if we've if, convinced you this is a grand old time <laughs> i mean there's going to be some people who already know they want to play this game and are just like if you can call uh, them you know, people i it's not that bad (laughs) it's not that bad i can see people liking this game uh like i reckon if i had this game when i was a kid i would like this game for sure um there's like things that you could enjoy about this um sure but but yeah this game's sanity effects are quite interesting or novel actually it's kind of like the game plays pranks on you almost there's um a whole bunch of different effects that can happen based on your sanity um and i had it's kind of funny it's very it was a lot more cheesy than i was expecting it to be like um in like a modern game with a sanity meter like amnesia for example yeah like creepy shit would happen constantly and i felt like in this game it was like uh, like 40 percent creepy stuff and then 60 percent just batch it stupid things and i was fourth, kind of a lot like, of fourth wall breaking stuff as well yeah and i was kind of okay with that um because some of it was actually kind of funny um although it's actually it's i was thinking about this i actually think that a lot of these have aged really poorly um just because they don't work anymore basically um mm-hmm. so an example of this is um, back when I played Metal Gear Solid 2 for the first time, 
I played it on an old CRT TV. Uh, and near the end of the game, there's this section where you're fighting a bunch of enemies, and then the game cuts to, like, this bright, bright blue, you know, video with, video with green text at the top left screen that all the old CRTs used to have, except it says Hideo instead of video at the top, because it's just, you know, him having a, a laugh. Um, and this game does that kind of thing. But when I see my you know, my computer monitor or my flat screen TV go to this blue uh, source <laughs> thing from 20 years ago. You obviously like, I, know what's happening. Yeah, I know what, I know the jig is up. Like, I'm not like, what? Because when, when that happened to me in Metal Gear Solid 2, it, it genuinely tricked me. I, like, I thought, you know, the cable had come loose or something. And that was, you know, not the case here because it was so absurd that that screen would appear on, you know, my modern system. I was going to say, James, there's one where I 100% got got and I freely admit to it. And yeah. I think that I got got specifically because I was emulating it. So the one that got me was there's a bit where the screen cuts to um, it's like this is the end of the demo to be continued in this sequel. And <laughs> yeah. I was like, what sort of shitty scuffed ROM what did ROM I download? Did download? Yeah, <laughs> genuinely believed that I downloaded some crappy demo ROM instead of the real one. And then it cut to the, you know, it ended and went back to the game and I realized what had happened. So bizarrely, I wouldn't have gotten got by that if I'd purchased the game because I would have known, you know, I spent, $60 on this obviously the game's not over but because it was a ROM it got me and it got me good one of the ones that got me like it got me for like half a second I'd say and then I like I was like oh it's the sanity thing um was that like mid-combat it was like your control has been disconnected and you just lose control of your character and it just get beat to death by like 10 zombies in this room it's like what yeah be because a lot of the time the way these work is like you go through a door and then it begins the i guess glitchy or sanity section so mm. that's he went through the door and he was surrounded by zombies because so to to make it work like there's ones where you you fall through the floor that was one yeah. which was really funny for me i thought my game was glitching out because i was just slowly falling through the floor you know typical <laughs> shit because that kind of thing happened in games of this era like you would just it would just break and then yeah so that those two are the two that got me the thing where my character was just i thought they were glitching out through the floor and the bit where it said to be continued there was what there was this one and I knew it was one of the sanity effects, but I went along with it anyway, just in case it wasn't. Like, I walked mm -hmm. into this new room, and the floor was just covered in shotgun ammo. Like, there was, like, a hundred shotgun ammo. Oh, <gasps> uh, yeah, on that the happened floor. to me as well. And yeah. I was like... I can't not start picking these up, right? Like, It's I impossible picked... to resist. Yeah, it's like, I picked up, like eight of them and then the game teleports you back to the start of the room and your character's <laughs> like ah oh, this can't be happening it's like uh I, I knew it and yeah it's a lot of fun like every time one happens it's fun which is maybe not what the game is going for but i honestly i think it is because yeah. so many of them are so obviously silly i there, there are a lot more brutal ones like there's one where you shoot yourself in the head one where like the top half of your torso explodes or your head comes off that 
that stuff does does happen. I but, really um, liked. Um, I was low on health, so I used heal, and then when heal completed, it killed me. Killed me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exact same thing. That happened was great. To me, yeah. yeah. Um, or like the ones where like you finish a level and the cutscene starts, and then for the first half of the cutscene it's normal, and then suddenly it's like Alex talking with her dead father's ghost, and the ghost. Like, it starts off normal, and then suddenly the ghost is like, man, you're such a disappointing daughter, <laughs> like, halfway through the dialogue, and then just starts talking about how terrible she is until it cuts back yeah. to, like, the actual cutscene. <laughs> like, yeah, I is... couldn't figure out if that was August and messing with her or not, though. Um, I think there are some ones that are real. I think the ones that happen, like, mid-mission... Mm. um are definitely oh, the, the sanity ones. yeah right okay. um i also liked the inclusion of the more subtle ones the one that got like that freaked me out at the start of the game um there's this one that just sounds like someone's banging on the door <laughs> or like it makes the floorboards in the room really creaky like that kind of stuff i thought i was on board with um yeah i feel like someone needs to put the you know the discord door knocking bot in a in a in a horror game now <laughs> yeah because <laughs> that's all i could think while watching that i'm like i know oh yeah and there's a statue that's head moves as you're yeah going I like through that. although i i thought it was like a feature i was like how do i interact with this statue so i didn't quite have the effect of scaring me as much as it should have but yeah I, this is the best part of the game because it's so fun and unique and never experienced anything quite like it and it legitimately got me a couple of times so props to the system i feel i feel like maybe some of them are cut a bit too short you know the jig is is up too quickly sometimes mm. but for the most part they're great and in some ways it's better to have a low sanity just so you get to experience more of these yeah i, I actually did play with low sanity on purpose a few times to see more of them um i will say i have i think it could have been done even better i wish that some of them had actually impacted the gameplay like i wish that some of the rooms just had more people and that you know it was an effect of the sanity but it did change the gameplay up this game has like a secret ending that expects you to play through the game three times and to me if the sanity effects significantly alter gameplay you know quite frequently uh, the idea of doing that is a lot more palatable to me when the gameplay is changed up as a result of that because what tends to happen is the sanity effect happens and then after a few seconds, you teleport out of the room and nothing that happened happened, um, which, you know, in a way is good because it prevents unfair things happening to the player. But at the same time, in this horror game, I would be on board with unfair things happening if I didn't manage my meter well. Yeah, but um, you need a more dramatic rethink of how the game is structured because it's yes. too easy to maintain your sanity. Yes. Um as is i mean with the system as is i'd rather it be a joke system okay <laughs> which is not a re-endorsement of the sanity meter in the context of a horror game i guess i would prefer it the way i suggested but you know at the end of the day it still is um uh, to me an entirely positive uh thing for the game right like um mm -hmm. i would say that this and the magic system are the best parts of the game hands down 
um, and if you were to, you know, want to play this game, those would be the reasons to play this game. But yeah, uh, final impressions, Patrick? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to move on to them. Um, okay, so Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem is perhaps the blandest game that we've played on this podcast. I think that the story is uninspired and completely fails to realize either the depths of this concept of of cosmic horror and the uninteresting characters and bare bones exposition we get of them means that i was completely uninvested in the characters and their personal stories as well from a gameplay point of view everything here is functional and fine but also largely uninspired and bland the melee and range combat is you know functional but kind of uninteresting the spell casting has some degree of depth but in practice is just about putting buffs on um, yourself to protect yourself and your weapons and then mashing your way through combat and the complete lack of any kind of resource management in this game because of the ability to replenish all your bars at will past level four means that it's not even engaging from that point of view I don't think it's a bad game like you can play through this game and have a fine time but at the end of the day, I think your time is better spent elsewhere. Rather than play a bad version of Uncharted with horror theming, play either a good, engaging cinematic action-adventure game like The Last of Us, or play something completely different in the survival horror genre that actually makes you makes you invested in the gameplay mechanics of like Resident Evil or the story like in Silent Hill. Eternal Darkness, I'm shocked that it got the reviews and ratings it got. It's universal acclaim. I cannot recommend this game. I don't think I'll ever recommend this game. Um, It's very inoffensive and very bland. You have better ways to spend your time. I think Patrick's been very unfair when he uses the words like bland and uninspired. I think this game has lots of elements of inspiration and I actually think that the idea of this game on paper is truly brilliant. Um, I think that the the magic system and the, the cool sanity effect definitely, you know, I would put under the umbrella as being inspired. Um, and it being an interesting reason for this game, you know, for you to go out of your way to play this game. That said, I think that out of any game that we've played ever on this show, I am probably the most disappointed between, you know, the idea of the game and the actuality of the game. Like, I think they had a brilliant idea and the, you know, the technical ability or the direction or something went wrong, you know, during development and it just does not live up to what it could have been. I would actually love to play a remake of this game. Like, if they remade this game to its full potential, I would probably love it. The way it is now, like Patrick said, it's kind of just uninteresting. The enemies are mostly non-threatening. The combat has systems there that could make it interesting, but you're never pushed to use them in fun or inventive ways. Large amounts of your game time are spent wandering around corridors that you've explored previously, you know, several times before. Uh, You spend so much of the time running around in circles trying to regenerate your mana. 
It just, it wastes your time in a lot of ways, and I really, really don't like that. Um, like Patrick said, the characterization is very shallow and non-existent in a lot of ways. There are some character stories that I found enjoyable and engaging, but largely, you know, for a game shouldn't have a ton of characters with the death of the puddle. It should have had, like, six and focused a bit more on them and fleshed them out. Um... I don't think Eternal Darkness is a terrible game. I think it's a very disappointing game, um, and it's definitely not good enough for me to give it a recommendation. Um, but I would understand if there was people that enjoyed it. It is true, James, that I was being probably too harsh on it. Like, you're right that a lot of these ideas are fine, and to be honest, there are points in the game where I was actually enjoying myself. But I can't think of a better way to explain my disappointment with this game then that level where you're playing as the page boy for Charlemagne because as I was going through and the page he, what happens is he keep as he moves his way through this level he keeps getting attacked by this yellow light and every time it happens his body becomes more deteriorated like he becomes more zombie like he's moving slower he's obviously you know falling to pieces and I thought I figured it out what, what they're going to do with this story. He's going to reach Charlemagne's chamber and he's going to be cut down before he can deliver this message to Charlemagne because they think he's a zombie. I'm like, yes, I figured it out. I'm, I'm, I'm great at storytelling. And then he gets to the chamber and he's already dead and the evil Augustine is towering over him saying, you were too late, I'm sorry. Mwahahaha. I was like, man fuck this storytelling i got i was like what are you even doing it's like you've got this great setup and then you completely fail to deliver and that's how i feel about this game so if i'm if i'm harsh with my words it's only because it fails to realize really any of its premises it's not that what the the ingredients here are flawed it's what they've made with them and the end experience of playing through this game is bland and uninspired, regardless of how clever the initial um, pitch was. Disappointing. Not every game, not every horror game can be Resident Evil or Silent Hill Two. Um, hopefully, we'll um, find another good one to play shortly. You, you know what? One we're playing next game. So we're not we're not playing it next episode before this R two sinus guy gets up me. But I've promised him that we're doing Ecstatica this year. So look forward to that. That does look horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. But you know, I've I've put it off long enough. It's going to happen this year. So well, we'll, I'm interested we'll, in that game. Uh, it'll be something <laughs> for sure. It can't be worse than this, right? It definitely can't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I think that about sums it up. Um, so James and I make up the Retrospectors podcast. All of our content is on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got all of our content, all of our many episodes, as well as a bunch of articles that we've written. I'm delighted to say after like six months, I finally wrote my article review on Pathologic. So I'd love if you'd go check that out. Um, I do like writing, but man, that game was hard to to sum up all in one go um most importantly we'll put a link to the in the show notes and on our website to our discord server 
Discord server is where all most of our community interaction happens. Uh, you can find, you know, we talk about old games and new games, and we take recommendations for games. Like Eternal Darkness was a was a Discord user's recommendation. So if there's any game that you think we should check out, please do drop by and drop us a note. So James, uh, before we go on to the part where I tell you what we're playing next, I just wanted to shout out Nostalgia Goggles yet again. Um, as I said at the start of the show, I was lucky after we had um, George on for Mushihimasama, uh, I got to appear on their show and that's going live um, on Tuesday. So I think this one comes out Monday, so it should just be tomorrow for you all. And I got to play and review StarCraft 1, and that was awesome. I, I love I love doing RTS games. So have, you, have you played StarCraft 1, James? I have not. Yeah, it was a very interesting experience. And, like, I'm big into Warcraft 3, big into StarCraft 2, but this was my first time going back to play the classic. So uh, please do go check out Nostalgia Goggles. It's a very similar format to our own, if, you know, maybe slightly more sophisticated on literally everything except gameplay. So if you're looking for a more balanced view um, that reviews classic games, you can't go wrong with those guys. So uh, spoilers, did you like the game? Um, Yes. Yes, I did. I I think it's a game with a lot of substantial problems, but um, I found some of its supposed downsides to actually make the game more enjoyable than you might think specifically the way you control your units in starcraft one is horrendous like you can only have 12 units in a control group the pathfinding is terrible you can't have multiple buildings of the same type in control groups and the issues go on and on and on um all things that they fixed in starcraft 2 but those very things make StarCraft 1 like more intrinsically enjoyable to control on a moment-to-moment level because it's an actual challenging task moving your army one from one side of the battlefield to the other, which it isn't in StarCraft 2. So we talk about stuff like that and the storytelling and everything. On the whole, I enjoyed it, even if it did have some problems. The RTS equivalent of Surgeon Simulator. <laughs> Uh, that's not the worst analogy. I, I think it it's not like there are no control groups. It's just that your ability to control your army is severely handicapped and there's a lot of frantic clicking around in order to try to get them to do what you want them to do. Is that a bad thing? I don't know. Like, is, is it fun to be trying to juggle those things at once? I kind of enjoyed it, even even if I am bad at it. So you know different strokes of different folks it helped that i i've played a lot of starcraft 2 so i have a baseline level of familiarity i can't imagine recommending starcraft 1 to someone who hasn't played an rts before though yeah that sounds like a bad time but yeah. i mean maybe one day i'll check it out maybe maybe <laughs> uh but yeah so for um for our next episode we're going to do a game that i've wanted to do for a while called typing of the dead you familiar with this one, James? Um, I've heard the name. I know what it is, um, but I've never played it before, actually. Me neither, but I heard it was a typing game, and I'm the kind of guy who, the other day at work, opened up Google and opened up a typing game or typing words per minute simulator for fun. So if Type I can racer. do that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If I can do that and murder zombies at the same time, which I believe is the entire game, 
man i'm excited that sounds like a real horror game (laughs) (laughs) i wonder if it'll be more horrifying than this one i guess i guess we'll find out yeah well i haven't played a typing game before actually i imagine when did the when did it come out i imagine the average person is a lot better at typing than when it came out originally so it originally came out like for an arcade machine i i think it came out in like in 1999 or 2000 or something so it it was originally only an arcade game you would go to the arcade and there would be a keyboard there at the arcade for you to play typing of the (laughs) dead but but since then i think it's it was released on sega and is probably available on pc as well so uh yeah I, i think i think it should be good like most of my time playing typing games was probably on websites like neopets uh i don't think i've actually played anything that isn't type racer but yeah looking forward to it um we definitely haven't done anything like this before so i kind of think it'll be a bit of a breath of fresh air for us uh so yeah looking forward to typing of the dead yeah so uh we'll see you all in two weeks and only two weeks i promise you for typing of the dead uh he'll be on playthrough two by then anyway (laughs) see you guys later (laughs)